0: I want to talk to you about love today, about loving strong, and this is a series that we started last week, and yet as God works things out, you guys know we had Jeff Swaim from Convoy of Hope speak here a couple of weeks ago, and you remember the title of his message? Strong Love. So he came in talking about love and a strong love and having a love for God that surpasses the love that you have for your family I loved his point that you would love God in such a way that would almost seem like your love for your family would be hate by comparison, that just that love for God would be so pure, so dedicated, so, so full that your love for your family just wouldn't even compare to that. And so last week we defined love, we started looking into it, and this week we're just going to pick it up from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look for uh, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to kind of say this to start off. How many of you know that it's possible to do the, exact, the completely right thing without any love? I mean, it's possible to do the right thing without love. All the time. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1, 3. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, NIV 1984, but do not have love, I gain nothing, okay? The NIV now has switched it up just a little bit from the way that it used to be with the way that I memorized it. If I, if I give all I possess to the poor, and he says, and give my, over my body to hardship, the 1984 said, uh, surrender my body to the flames that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So when I look at this, I find out that it is possible to be used in spiritual gifts, speaking in the tongues of angels and of men, but if I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong. Doesn't fit, doesn't flow, doesn't work. It's just not right. I can have prophecy. I can fathom the mysteries and the knowledge of heaven, but if I don't have love, I'm not gaining anything from it. I can have a faith that move, moves mountains. I can command a mountain to go. And we all know that scripture teaches that Jesus said that when you have faith, you can tell that mountain to be cast into the sea, and that mountain must obey you. So faith is a beautiful part of who we are in Christ. After all, you guys know that Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And yet we're being told over and over again, if I have prophecy, if I can discern, if I have faith, if I give all of my possessions, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. I see in these moments, I see people doing the right things. I see people that if we were just observing them outwardly, we would say they were pretty on fire. Man, have you met this guy? He... He prophesies. There are many times that God's used him and he's prayed over me and he's released faith and my circumstances have changed. There are times that he's discerning and he interprets dreams for me. That guy is one of the most giving people. Last year, we needed this much money to make our goal and he stepped up and covered the final this many thousands of dollars. What an amazing person and yet if it's not done from the motivation of love, it's a target. We don't become loving because of what we're doing, but what we're doing needs to be built upon a foundation of love. Can I get an amen? Here's a thought. Love isn't just another good characteristic we add on to our lives. It is the foundation of what we are called to be, who we are called to be. And this was our text last week, 1 John 4, 19. It says this. We love because he first loved us. We looked at three Greek words last week, eros, where we get the word sensual and erotic and romance, phileo or phileo, depending on your Greek teacher, where we get brotherly love and Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and then agape, self-sacrificial, willing to lay yourself down for someone else, and that's what we see here. We agape because he first agaped us. We are willing to lay ourselves down because he laid himself down for us. I'm just gonna say this, this love is only possible because he lives in us. In our natural, we're selfish. We think of ourselves before we think of others. In our natural, it's about how it affects me, how it touches me. If you don't believe it, how many of you have ever been stuck behind a car accident and you're upset because you're gonna be late to work? And then you pull up and you're like, well my goodness, it's not even that bad, most of the car's still together. Anybody else been that selfish? Like, where are we gonna, how are we going to get by and let the ambulance go? How are we even going to make room for them? You, somebody's life has just been tragically altered or major ch- had a major change, and we're thinking about our schedule. Man, I'm, I'm just being real with you with things that the Lord deals with me about. Man, I've got to get to this prayer meeting. There's a minister's prayer meeting, and I am running late for it because this person has the audacity to have a head on in front of me. Get out of the way so I can go pray with the men of God. Maybe it's time to pull over and have a prayer meeting. You know what I'm saying? So I I just find over and over again that I can't love this way without the help of the Lord. And this isn't a moment to start condemning myself. And you might be out there going, my goodness, I'm just as bad as he is. Welcome to Faith Chapel, where we lean on the grace and the mercy of God, right? So think about it. We're going to talk about love giving, and it's the first point that I have today, it's this, love gives. And when John Pyron put, put it together to put into the PowerPoint today, he said, I saw this one love gives this week, but where's the two and the three? I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't even get there. That'll have to be the next week that I speak. We'll get to two and three. Love gives. Here's the thing about it. Kind of start this thing off. Giving isn't love, but love is certainly Giving. It's possible to give without any love. I mean, we read that in 1 Corinthians. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So I I hope and I understand we've been promoting the Convoy of Hope one day to feed the world offering, but we all know we're not buying anything through this, right? Right? We all understand that, that we, we're not earning a, a better place in heaven with the other, you know, we're going to be a step up above the nominal Christians that haven't even learned how to tithe yet. We tithe and we give to the poor because we're more amazing. It, that's not what this is at all. It's actually, we're giving because love compels us because we know that somebody's hungry and we might not know their name, but we have to do something about it. I mean, just love compels us to. So it's possible to give without loving, but it's certainly, if you're going to love, giving's going to be involved in who you are. And this is really laid out from when we look at the character of the Father. Look in Genesis chapter 15, verses uh, 17 through 18. I, I want you to know when I prepare messages, I like to pray. I like to spend time with the Lord. I like to meditate on it. Uh, the, the, the word for meditate literally is the same word that would, been, would have been used about a, a cow chewing on its cud, kind of just working that thing over, and I like to work verses over and think about them and chew on it and spend time in it, and this is something that I shared with you guys back last fall, and I'm, I didn't really want to go here, and I kept feeling the prompting of the Holy Spirit that there was going to be someone today that needed to hear this. And then when Pastor Josh paused during worship and said, somebody needs to hear this right now, that you're loved by God and you're not condemned, I'm like, okay, there's the confirmation. This is, it might be for more than one, but if this is for you today, I want, I'm just going to tell you right now, Pastor Josh paused by the Holy Spirit because the Lord wanted to speak to you and the Lord redirected my entire, what I was preparing because he wanted to share this with you. So whoever you are, you're pretty stinking special, okay? Okay. Genesis 15 verses 17 through 18 says this: "When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. You might be going, "What does this have to do with helping me feel better about my past mistakes?" Let me explain this just a little bit. God had called Abram, and he said, "I want you to follow me," and Abram did said, follow me to a place that you don't know about. And Abram went, and he followed the Lord. And the Lord said to him, I want to make a covenant with you. Now, I'm not going to go through a whole lot of description on this, because I've taught this at Faith Chapel two or three times. But if you look up the Hebrew word for covenant, it's like literally the cutting of steak or the cutting of meat. It's, it's something that, that it's, it is a bloody covenant moment. And the Lord spoke to Abram, and he said, I want you to go get these things. And he told him, uh, get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. And he found a place where two hillsides came together. He had this little low area, and he cut the heifer in half, and he cut the goat in half, and he cut the young pigeon in half, and the blood flowed to the middle. And it's gross, but that's just what happened. This was something that at that time when people made a covenant ceremony with one another, this is what they would do. If you know anything about uh, David who became King David, his best friend Jonathan, David and Jonathan, there were a couple of times that they reaffirmed their covenant for one another. Slicing an animal, the blood would flow, and both Jonathan and David would walk through that blood. And it's gross, but it represented that if I don't honor my end of the agreement, may I be like these animals, and may my blood be spilled. So for, here, here's the point. For a covenant to be valid... Two people had to walk, Two people had to accept it. How do you know that for a transaction to happen, there has to be a buyer and a seller? Okay, and if, if it's a if it's a good deal to both sides, have you ever heard the phrase win-win? If it's a win-win, it's a full arm's length transaction. It's something that you're comfortable with. If if one person's winning, they might be pulling you a little tight. It's a short sell. They got a little closer to you than you wanted them to, okay? So you've got to have two people that are working in this thing. It was very common in a covenant that two people, that's that's how you made a covenant with each other. But what's interesting in this situation is that Abram did his job of preparing the animals and allowing the blood to flow to the middle, and there were wild birds that tried to come and to get to the carcasses, and he kept them back. But as the day passed, Abram fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, his eyes and the spirit saw a smoking fire pot. Literally, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it's like a smoking bread oven. It's a bread oven, a glowing bread oven. Think of a Middle Eastern style bread oven, just glowing with heat. And it literally passed between the pieces. Abram saw that. By the way, we we know that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the bread of heaven. I think this is pretty representative of Yeshua. How about you? And he literally, he saw this glowing bread oven pass through the blood between the two pieces. So what happened here? This is different. Abram didn't walk through the blood. Only the presence of God walked through the blood. When you made a covenant with somebody, both of you did it. And when you passed through the blood, you were pledging that you would die if the covenant was broken. So, what happened? God walked through the blood and God pledged that he would die if the covenant was broken. But how many know that God wasn't going to break the covenant? God's not a man that he should lie. So when God passed through the blood, God was saying, I will die when you break the covenant. He didn't even ask Abram to go through the blood because it was never about Abram being good enough, living righteously enough, honoring God. It was never about Abram. It was always about God. And it was about God and his faithfulness to the covenant. And God said, Abram, I'll die for you. I'll die for your descendants. I'll die for your spiritual children. I'm the one that's willing to pass through the blood so that you don't have to. Here's the thought. In love, God promised to give his life, not for his failures, but for yours, for ours. The Lord paused me here. To let you know, I don't, I, you might be a member of a church. <laughs> you might know all the old hymns and all the new songs and, and play Bethel music in the background of your home. But as of yet, you're st- you are so stuck with the person, that you, the, the, the way that you used to walk, that you won't experience the freedom that he has for you today. And the Lord, he, he's here to say, it's never been about what you did or didn't do. It's about what I did for you. I paid the price for you, and I knew the failure was going to come, and that's why I paid the price in advance. And as a matter of fact, I could even go farther back when God's word says that Christ was slain when? Before the foundations of the earth. It was always his plan. I want to pause here for just a moment. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes. Is there anybody in this place today that you're going, that is me, Pastor Brad? That is me. I, I live under such accusation and condemnation, and I, I just need the freedom because God gave his love when he passed through that blood. And I, I, if that's you, just lift up a hand. I want to bless you today. Anybody else? Just Yeah, anybody else? You just struggle with accusation and condemnation. God bless you. Come on. God bless you. Is there anybody here today that you're going, I just need to accept Jesus. This, is, this has opened my eyes. He did the work. He paid the price. I just need to receive him. If that's you, would you lift up a hand? If This is your day to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, for things to start fresh and to start new. If, that, if that's you, would you lift up a hand? I want to pray for you as well. Okay, Lord, I saw several sons and daughters that lifted their hands. And in Jesus' name, I thank you that old things passed away and all things became new. In Jesus' name, I thank you that you passed through the blood while we slept through it. You opened our eyes to see what you did because it wasn't about what we did. The just do not live by works. The just live by faith. And our faith is in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for these men and women that condemnation and accusation would be broken off of their lives. In Jesus' name, I implore you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. You are called, you are redeemed, you are covered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we just bless you today. We bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Isn't it amazing? God knew we would never keep the covenant. God knew we would fail. So God said, I'll give my life. You might know it this way, John 3, 16 and 17. We don't put this verse on the screen enough because we all know it so well. But God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world, to sozo the world through him. Jesus did not come to, if Jesus physically walked into this room right now, he would not walk in here to condemn any of us. He would walk in here because he is our savior. And his presence is in this place. And if his presence is in this place, condemnation shouldn't be. Conviction can be, but not condemnation, right? Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 says, what shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is love. We love because he first loved us. He gave himself when he walked through the blood of the covenant with Abram saying, I will die for your failures. He gave himself when he sent his son to the world to pay the price for us. And he's promised that not only has he given his son, but he'll graciously give us all things. Love is giving. Our God gives. He gives because he loves. So because he loves. He loves. He pledged himself for our failures. Because he loves, he sent his son for our redemption. Because he loves, he's promised that all things are ours. It's because of him. Here's an observation. Anyone can say give love, but the Bible says love gives. And I think in a culture that says give love all the time, it's very abstract, ambiguous, and vague. Oh, you just need to be more loving. Well, what define that. What does that mean? And one of the ways that we, can see, that we can see what real love is, is when love gives the way that God gives. That's a great indication that love is really in the house, something that we can put our minds around. We're in a society that says that love and tolerance are the same thing. You recognize that at this point? If you're loving, you're tolerant. Now, there have been a lot of things in my life that I've had to tolerate. How about you? There are times that I have to tolerate, but tolerance and love are not the same thing. As a matter of fact, not only does our society say that tolerance is love, but it also says that if you speak the truth, or if you speak a word that goes against someone's personal truth, you're not loving. So now we're supposed to allow love to be what anybody decides that it should be. In truth to be, what every individual on the planet thinks that it's supposed to be for them. You got a few billion people on the planet, and if my words hinder your conviction of your personal truth, then I've just been proven hateful. I've been proven not to be tolerant. How many you know it's just not that abstract? And I know in a pluralistic culture, that's what we want to define. We want everyone to have their definition of what love is, and the rest of us to honor everyone else's definition by not talking about it or disturbing it. I'll I'll let you know this, and most of you know these things. Churches have insurance policies in case someone can't sleep well after a sermon because the pastor talked about something that they struggle with. It's been around for years. Churches have, I would call it conviction insurance. If I go to church and I'm not convicted from time to time, there's a problem. We need a little conviction. Can I get an amen? Amen. So thankfully, because we don't believe God can take care of it, we have conviction insurance to help us through. Here's an observation that I have. Tolerance isn't love, but neither is condemnation. It takes people speaking the truth in love to lead others to salvation you realize that when you know that someone's life is off what God has for them and we refuse to speak the truth in love to help them, that we're advocating their disobedience and we're putting our seal of approval on their path to destruction? And I'm not talking about just dealing with people about their behaviors. I'm talking about reaching into someone's life and speaking the truth so that people, how many you know that the truth says what sets us free? It's where we get our freedom. You know, at the time that Jesus came, it's hard to believe it's been over 2,000 years ago. But at the time that Jesus came, the religious culture was completely corrupt. It was deceived. People had envy and malice within the religious culture. And I, I'm sure that the, there's no religious culture in our world today, but that's the way it was when, when Jesus came here. Also, families were messed up. They were enslaved by, God's word says, by passions and pleasures. The political system was messed up. I would say that ours is. I mean, things are messed up. So it's not that things are so different today because people continue to be people and we give into the same things that we've given into and we get deceived the same ways that we always have. When Jesus came, the religious culture was off, the family culture was off, and the political environment was off. So what was the answer? Look in Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I'm gonna pause there for a moment. The Greek word for passion here is hedonon. How many of you have heard of hedonism? Hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure. That, so this word passions means that people were just pursuing whatever pleasure that they wanted for themselves. As long as they were fine with it and comfortable with it, who were we to say anything about it? I mean, you realize in the state of California, they are actively trying to say that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. No longer is it a sickness that an adult male or an adult woman would want to take a child, no longer, no longer is that a sickness. No longer does that need to be cured. It's just an orientation. Some people just want children. How many of you know they better not want my children? See what I'm saying? There's a point where love and compassion becomes defense and get out of my house. Can I get a hallelujah today? Okay, our culture is the same way. People are trapped by all kinds of passions. When you read about King Herod and you read about Caesar and you read about the people that were in leadership at the time that Christ came, these were messed up, perverted individuals. They were doing the human trafficking thing before we learned to put the red X on our hand. This was a messed up, horrible, godless culture. Hedon, passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So what did God do? Did he come to slam us? No when the kindness and love of God our savior appeared it's the word epiphany it's where we get we we look and we get a revelation of the love of God he saved us not because of righteous things we had done because lord knows we hadn't done them but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the holy spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. What was the answer for people that were full of malice, full of envy, passionately pursuing pleasure at the cost of others, feeding ungodly and unwholesome sexual orientations, stealing from others, taking people's property and their possessions? What was the answer for them? same thing that's the answer for them today the kindness and love of god our savior and he saved them not because of anything they had done but because of his mercy have you ever heard this phrase there but the grace of god go i there are some things that i hear about that i can't imagine ever going into probably because of the renewal of the mind But there are some areas that i'm like god if if you wouldn't have stepped into my life as a teen i would be so messed up thanks for the agreement jack it's always good how many know it's good to have agreement i would be so messed up yeah yeah really looking forward to hearing you tuesday jack it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time if i would have known at 19 (laughs) <laughs> what I know now. How many, how many of you can admit that sin's still easier than you want it to be? It is. So why would we think that people that are sinful would have any self-control? I, I, I want a good moral culture, believe me. I prefer it for my children. But I understand that as people are walking farther and farther from God, it's going to be difficult to find morality. I just want the church of Jesus Christ to shine like a a light in a dark place because eventually people realize that they're broken and that's why they're doing what they're doing. Eventually they realize they're broken. You realized you were broken. I realized I was broken and I needed mercy and I needed him and he rescued me. Come on. The value of the gift is determined by the cost the giver is willing to pay to give it not by the willingness of someone to receive it. I know everything that I read says more people in the world aren't walking with Jesus than are. But that doesn't make the gift of Jesus less valuable. The gift of Jesus could never be more valuable because it's the very Son of God. And that gift is not influenced in value whatsoever by someone's willingness to receive the gift. And I think some of you have been there. You you gave a gift that cost you something. And it wasn't received in the way that you had hoped it would be received by the person you gave it to. And I want you to know, just because someone else fails to recognize the value, it doesn't change the value. It doesn't change it at all. My dad always said that he didn't want to give me a car because he wanted me to earn a car because I would recognize how valuable it was. As I got older, I just realized he didn't give me a car because he didn't have any cash. <laughs> so I'm using the same line with Emma. i like, honey, you need to know how valuable the car is. Plus, mom and I need to go on vacation, so you're not getting a car. Can I get, a, can I get an amen on that, right? It's, we, every person, a misuse of a gift doesn't change the gift doesn't change it Bill Johnson said this and I felt like this was important to talk in our giving moment not giving money because you believe someone will misuse the money is to misuse the money it's pretty challenging Bill Johnson leads the church Bethel in in Reading California when he made this statement it's something that really hit with me and I found myself I hand people cash quicker than I ever have I, I just do. Well, what if, that guy, what if that drunk just goes and gets more alcohol with it? That's his choice. But if there's someone and the Lord shows, He highlights that somebody's in need, who am I to prejudge what they're going to do with the resource that God's given me that isn't even my resource anyway? It's God's. What about Convoy of Hope? Will they manage this $50,000 that we're believing for? Will they manage that well? Well, with everything in me, I believe they will. I know the rating that they've been given and the audits that they go through every year, but I'll be honest with you. If we give them $50,000 and they spend it, they take their CEO out on a wild vacation, that's on their head, that's not on mine. It's not on ours. We're doing what God's called us to do regardless of how somebody else handles it. And I know that's even hard to talk about and to say, but we have to get that way. God gave Jesus knowing that the majority of the people would spit in his face. But he still gave the best that he had to give. And we've got to be willing to give no matter what and no matter how people receive it. Do they even get it? Do they know what we went through? Do they understand the cost? Probably not. That's not the point. The point is love gives. Let's wrap this thing up. Wow. Um, it's ten seventeen, and I've got a full page, there's just no way, so you want to get out early today? No? Okay, all right, then we'll do it, all right, here we go, you had a chance, you got to be quicker, you snooze, you lose, all right, let me just, three little sub-thoughts about when it comes to giving, here's one of them, okay, love gives money, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. I wouldn't just throw that out there if it didn't have biblical precedent. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever heard that line before? By the way, this wasn't about tithing. Oh, I can just give whatever I want. This This wasn't a tithing passage at all. This was specifically collecting an offering for the poor. Paul was getting ready to head back to Corinth, on his way to Jerusalem. People in Jerusalem were suffering, and he said, listen, before this, the people of Macedonia and Achaia, they've already stepped up and helped out. And he reminded them, and by the way, they're going through a lot more difficulty than you are, and they've stepped up. And I'm going to be coming through Corinth real soon, and I'm just asking you, ask God what you should do, give whatever, and don't whatever he tells you to do, don't do it with reluctance. How many of the Lord's ever given you a number in a moment that you were uncomfortable with? Yeah. When he gives you a number that you're uncomfortable with, you need to determine to be cheerful about it. Just be cheerful about it. This is great. (laughs) I am so excited that he's called us to give this because I don't even know where it's going to come from. Baby, use the credit card this week. We're giving like we've never given before. Okay. You just need to determine. I want to be cheerful about it. You will find out, you ready for this, that the reaper overtakes the sower. I've already told you, and if you saw them when you pulled up today, did you see the two brand new shiny white vans out there in the parking lot that a benefactor gave our church? Before we'd even given our offering to one day to feed the world, God had already provided two vans that we needed. How many know God's good. And guess what? We sold the two vans that are completely falling apart and one of them has no transmission. We sold two vans that need to be shot for $10,000. I mean, how amazing is that? Man, we took that sucker. We did. I'm kidding. They knew exactly what they were getting. Truly, we would not uh, take advantage of many people. <sighs> Love gifts. Love gifts. What else does love give? One self, John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, this is a great group of people, but I'm sure in this group there's probably some people in this room that have other people in this room that aren't your favorite person to see every week. It just it just is. We're different, we have different temperaments, we have different styles. We have people that like to jump up and down during worship. We have people that like to criticize the people that are jumping up and down in worship. We're different. We make a choice to love each other. Whether we're a jumper or a hallelujah or a hand waver or a go to the altar or a big giver or a small giver or we serve faithfully or we don't, we choose to love each other. Love just gives oneself. I think that's one of the beautiful things about this church. I tell people all the time, and I'm not afraid to say this, this is a loving church community. It's loving because sometimes we just put up with each other. Can I get an amen? It's a loving church. And last point is this, and we'll wrap it up. Truth. Love gives money. Love gives oneself. Love gives truth. Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. You'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the wind or the waves, Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, TBN. Instead, did I say that? I'm sorry, that was just a joke. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought I just thought it. I, okay. I'm sorry. I'm so sick of every new way to come up with bigger offerings. And so this is a season, God does special things on January 23rd that he doesn't do any other day. I'm just so sick of that stuff. I didn't mean for it to come out. But David, would you go back to John chapter 13, (laughs) verses 34 to 35? If you guys will just love me right now, we'll get through this, okay? I feel a little flush. If you'll just love me, we'll get through. Okay, now let's go back down. I apologize. I saw those eyes. I I fell in love with those eyes a long time ago. Never knew I was going to be shot by them, but I, all right. Instead, speaking, don't tell the late service, okay? This is just between us. Don't tell the late service. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, where, what, what, in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, it's funny that I didn't speak in love at all, and that's what we're going to use to illustrate this point. Isn't it great how that works out? Before this, we've got those famous verses that say, equip God's people for works of service. The role in leadership is to so equip people in the Lord that not only are are they encouraged, but we're actually in that place where we can lead and we can serve. And he says, if we do that well, People are no longer going to be tossed around by winds and by waves. And one of the ways that we do that is we speak the truth in love. And I'm going to close with this thought. Some of you have some relationships that are front and center in your life. And because of your love, you've been patient. But the patience has gone to a place where now you've moved into tolerance. And the Lord is saying, You need to speak the truth in love to those that you care about because how will they know if somebody doesn't share with them? Do it with love. If you don't do it with love, then don't speak it. But if you do it with love, God will use you to help bring change to their life. Now you know what I'm talking about, okay? Here's the final observation, and we'll close with this. Go ahead and put it up. Thank you. Our culture has taught us that speaking the truth is hateful, while God's word teaches us that it is hopeful. Okay, speak the truth. Just do it in love. And let God use that to give hope and to give freedom to others.